Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. John chapter 17, beginning with verse 6, says this. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. And they knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they are yours. All that I have is yours, and all that you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that, what, so that they may be one as we are one. And while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. And none has been lost except for the one doomed to destruction, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Verse 13. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. For I have given them your word, and the word has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you will take them out of the world, but that you will protect them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Verse 20, but my prayer is not just for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, through the world, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you and known, made you known to them, and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them that I myself may be in them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today I pray that you would bless the proclamation of your word. God, we confess today that your word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, which means that we believe that you have a word for us today and that the truths contained in our passage this morning are relevant They are relevant to our lives. God, our our job is not to make the word of God relevant, but simply to discover the ways in which it already is. So God, may these words today shape our imaginations and shape our hearts more and more into your likeness, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned at the beginning, this is Jesus' prayer, first for the disciples, uh, but then for all believers. 
as we notice the, the theme or, or when we consider the, this prayer as a whole, we recognize that uh, the prayer where, where the headings that separate prayer for the disciples and prayer for all believers, it's actually quite similar. What Jesus is praying for his immediate group of 12 is also what he is praying for all those that will come and believe in his message. And Jesus' prayer this morning is, is really motivated by the fact that, that Jesus is going away. Uh, that he knows that he is headed to the cross. You'll remember in the Gospel of John, which we've been looking at uh, a lot of this year, that, that John, in the Gospel of John, John has Jesus walking resolutely and quite obediently to the cross. Uh, there's never any doubt what he is to do. And so he knows that that is before him, that he is, uh, his earthly ministry will end, and he will send the Holy Spirit. So he knows that the way in which they have come to know his presence uh, will change and will go away. He has gathered the disciples. He has led them. He's cared for them. He's been a shepherd for them, but now he is going away and will entrust them to the Father that is God the Father, the one whom he has counted on, the one whom he has loved and, and known throughout his earthly life. And of course, just as any loving shepherd would do, and really just as any loving parent would do in light of they're going away. Jesus prays for his disciples and for all believers protection. I have to tell you, I understand this. Uh, a big consideration for Amy and I when we were making plans to be uh, to go to Africa is could we be gone long enough to make it worth it? You don't want to travel two days to Africa, uh, be there three days, and then come home. <laughs> if you're going to make the effort and have the nine-hour uh, time difference, you want to make sure it's worth the trip. And so one of the biggest considerations was, could we be gone that long? We were going to go away. Now, of course, we came to learn that we would be confident that we could. Uh, we have great parents who are willing to step in and help and make it possible for us to go. But it was difficult leaving. We wouldn't be there to nurse the wounds of our children, to, to hear about their day each day, to care for them when they can't sleep at night. And even though we certainly trust those that we had uh, charged with the care of our children, the reality is we still prayed for their protection. The immediate question, though, that comes up is uh, protection from what or from whom? Uh, the answer for us, uh, as we were getting to go on vacation, was uh, we want to protect, Lord, would you protect our children from illness or, or injury, keep them physically and bodily safe? The answer for Jesus and his prayer of protection for the disciples is a little bit different. And the answer to the question, from what or from whom does Jesus pray for protection, I think comes in verses 14 and 15. Where Jesus says this. He says, the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And my prayer is not that you would take them from the world take them out of the world, but that rather you would protect them from the evil one. In this prayer, Jesus seems to be joining together the idea of the world and of the evil one. Uh, he says uh, the world has, has hated them. Uh, he says the disciples are not of the world. He says that he has been hated by the world and that he is not of the world. And then he says protect them from the evil one. And so while the link uh, between the two may not be explicit, it is certainly implied. And so when Jesus says to the disciples are not of this world, he certainly does not mean 
that they don't have human ancestors or homes or families. But rather, what he means is the word world here is being used to represent a darkness that works against the purposes of God and aligns itself with empire. I want to say that again. The word world here is being used to represent the darkness, uh, the darkness that works against the purposes of God and aligns itself with empire. In other words, the world becomes a way of talking about the ways of the evil one. I want to make sure we grab a hold of that this morning. That in this passage in particular, uh, in fact, when Paul starts to, to work this out after the, the the birth of the church and the resurrection of Jesus and all of this has taken place and the Apostle Paul is, is called to ministry, the way, part of the language that Paul adopts to, to capture the same idea is, is the word flesh. And, and here, it's not the word flesh, but it's the word world. The word world is, is, represents for us the darkness that works against the purposes of empire. It's a way of talking about the ways of the evil one. And so Jesus says, of course, in, in light of this, and understanding it this way, Jesus says, I am not of the world. I am not from the world. In other words, I don't walk in the ways of the evil one. And then he says something spectacular, which is, for those who have called by my name in faith, for those who have become my disciples, it can also be said of them that they are not of the world, that they are no longer of the world. And so Jesus' prayer then is that the Father would help protect them, that is the disciples and all who believe in their message. Guess what? That's you and I. Jesus' prayer is that the Father would protect them and protect us from being sucked back into the ways of the world. Now, the disciples have been with Jesus learning about this new alternative way of life, this new alternative way of living. And the language that Jesus uses is, is the word kingdom. In fact, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many scholars, the central message of the life and ministry of Jesus is that a new kingdom is coming and has already come that is different than any other kingdom in the world before or since. And so central to the message of the New Testament church is that Jesus Christ is building a new kingdom and he's building it right in the middle of this one. In fact, this kingdom is distinct and different from anything the world has ever seen before. This is a kingdom that is inaugurated by way of forgiveness. This is a kingdom that is defined by love, particularly love of those who are different from me. And that is unique among all other kingdoms of the world. All other kingdoms of the world say love only those who are like you. The kingdom of Christ is unique in that it is, first of all, defined by love, but particularly by love of those who are different from me. Also unique about this kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, is that this is a kingdom that isn't defended from enemies, but rather open to all who will come by faith. This isn't a kingdom that needs to be defended from enemies, but rather a kingdom who is open to all who will come by faith. And so central to the teaching of Jesus is that if we will learn to see this kingdom, and if we will learn to embrace this kingdom, it will change everything about how we live. But we first have to see it. We first have, we second have to embrace it. 
Because it's one thing where, where we have scales over our eyes and we don't see the kingdom of Christ for what it really is. And we assume that it's just a, a Christian version of any of the nations of the world. That if we could just somehow Christianize this particular way of the world, then we can call that the kingdom. But no, church, the kingdom of Christ is distinct from any kingdom of the world. And first, we need the scales to fall from our eyes in order to see it and perceive it. But second, it is possible. And there are times when we might see it. Might not embrace it. So the call of, the, of Jesus in this radical way of life is first to see and perceive the way of the kingdom, and then to embrace it. Jesus' implication throughout the New Testament is: if you will, if you will do that, it will change everything about how we live. That is to say that. It isn't that the kingdom of Christ is some impractical platitude, but rather it is, if fully embraced, it changes everything. And of course, with this new community comes, uh, or with this new kingdom comes a new kind of community. It is, it's a group of people who will be dedicated to living out this radical way of love, and whose allegiance won't belong to any particular nation, but to a Savior who is Lord over all of the nations. For the ways of the world are in stark contrast to the ways of the kingdom of Christ. Amen? Amen. Every time I move, we get static. It's difficult for me not to move. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> in a world that runs on the fuel of superiority, of being the first and the most important, the message of love and forgiveness that is open to all is a grave threat to the status quo. In a world that runs on the fuel of superiority, the message of love and forgiveness and mercy that is open to all becomes a grave threat to the status quo. And so the world hated Jesus. As you read the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, there's one thing that comes becomes very, very clear, that this this loving, forgiving, mercy-filled kingdom of Christ that Jesus is establishing and, and embodying and preaching comes, flies right in the, to the face of the Roman Empire and the ways of the, of the empire. And they are threatened by it, and in their threat, they hate Jesus to the point that they want to kill him. So, Jesus says, the world has hated me. And if his disciples are faithful to walk in the ways of Jesus, it will likely hate them as well. And, and what I don't want to hear you hear me saying today is, is that Christians are unpopular. But rather, what I want you to hear me say is that, is that walking in the ways of Jesus will, will often run crossways to walking in the ways of the world. That's the primary message. Because when the kingdom of God says all violence will cease, the ways of the world says, but violence is how we protect ourselves. When the kingdom of God says, there will be plenty for everyone, the way of the world says, but wealth and possessions is how we determine who's valuable or not, who's important or not, who's given a voice or not. You see, when the kingdom of God says, all divisions will cease, for in Christ there is neither black or white, slave or free, male or female, rich or poor, for all are one in Christ Jesus, 
That is what the kingdom of God says and the ways of the kingdom of God, but the ways of the world says, but, 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 but. But clearly drawn lines is how we decide who is in and who is out, who is us and who is them. You see, what I want us to understand and what I want the church at large to understand in this time is that the church, that the kingdom of God is fundamentally different and distinct from the kingdom of the world. And that when Jesus prays for his disciples, and then he goes on to pray for any who will believe in their message, what he does, and I want you to hear this, what he prays essentially is that they, we will be protected from walking in the ways of the world. That's Jesus' prayer. Jesus has spent his life, his ministry, his preaching. He's embodying all of this. He's building up this, this kingdom way. And then as he gets ready to leave and, and go to the cross and fully establish his kingdom and fully refound the world on, on an axis of love and forgiveness, as he's going about and he's walking and getting ready to do that work, his prayer is, oh, God the Father, would you not allow the disciples, this little group that I have shepherded and kept safe, and all those who will believe in their message, God, would you protect them from walking in ways that are contrary to what I show them? This is as timely a message of prayer as ever before. This is a profound prayer from Jesus. As I've already mentioned, this is a prayer not just for his immediate group of disciples, but for all of us as well, because, listen, church, broadly speaking, we, broadly speaking, we can either walk in the ways of the world which are the ways of the evil one. Or we can walk in the ways of the kingdom of God, which are the ways of Jesus. Broadly speaking, those are the two paths. Those are the two roads. And Jesus' prayer, again, is that they, the people of God, us, that we would faithfully embody the kingdom of Christ and not be sucked back into walking in the ways of the world. Now, I don't want to presume too much here, but I wonder if Jesus were here in the flesh today, if he might pray something like this. Father, may my people not be caught in the trap of living the world's ways and calling them my ways. Again, I, I don't want to assume too much, but but I think that that really captures the heart of Jesus' prayer. Lord, may they not really be walking in the world's ways, but then call them my ways. But may we be kept safe to see, may we be given perspective to see, and the courage to embrace the ways of the kingdom. Well, I've just flown through all of that. I told the team this morning, I said, we're not going to do prayers of people. My message is going to be too long. And I've already ruined that. And they also gave me a hard time. They said, you're planning on preaching too long? What is that about? <laughs> well, let me say this. Insofar as we are kept safe from walking in the ways of the world, 
and we walk faithfully in the ways of Christ and his kingdom, there are two things that happen. These are the so that's in the prayer. The so that's. The first so that is, is really all over the place. 11, verse 11, the second part. Verse 21, the second part. Or the first part, verse 23. But this is, this is every time that Jesus says, so that they may be one. One of the central themes of, of what Jesus is praying for his disciples and all those who will follow after him is that we would be unified. And I want to I do something today where I want to make a direct connection between walking in the ways of the kingdom and the unity that follows and walking in the ways of the world and the disunity that might come. But let's begin here, where the insofar as we are walking faithfully in the ways of Christ and avoiding walking in the ways of the world, one of the so that's is that the people of God will be unified. And I would say to you, church, that when there is unity among us, it is evidence that we are living in light of the kingdom of God and not of the world. One of the things that I love about receiving communion each week is that there is no other table by which you find such a diverse group of people. Tables both in ancient culture and I would also submit in, in modern and postmodern culture as well. Tables are intimate spaces. One of the joys of, of ministry over the last several years has been welcoming people around our table. And in fact, it is around the table. First at 1409 Luke Street, and then at do I want to give away my current address? 4126 Stone Ridge Court. It is around those tables that many of you went from relative strangers and were transformed into friends. Tables are intimate spaces. And so it is at the Lord's table that each week as we come to receive the life of Christ, to, to be called out back into the world, and all that happens here around the communion table. So it is each week. This group of people, this group of people, with different perspectives, different stories, different life experiences, skin color, and political persuasions, and economic status, we can all come to the same table. It is a picture of such beautiful unity in the work of the Spirit among us. So every week we have a chance to embody together the unity that is present among us because of the work of the Spirit. And we do it around this table. So just by virtue of gathering together, Around the Lord's table, we are proclaiming and embodying a unity that I believe can be prophetic to the world. As the world divides over every divide, possible dividing line, as the world spews hate over everything that we might disagree with, we can come, and you might have the furthest left political persuasions, 
You might have the furthest right political persuasions, but we can come and gather around the Lord's table together in this place. That is not possible without the work of the Spirit. Amen? One of the other things that I think we do every week that really embodies a unity among us uh, is our greeting time. Our, our greeting time are these few moments during our time of worship where we embody our unity together. Uh, now, introverts, uh, let me talk to you for a moment. Uh, I know how you feel about greeting time. In fact, uh, when we say, hey, let's take a few moments to greet one another, uh, some of you introverts are really tempted to do this. Let's show this picture. Right? <laughs> some of you introverts just want to put on your big Mickey Mouse gloves and stand there and be like, I'm not shaking anybody's hands, right? I know, I know that's some of you. I know it. But let me tell you this. Uh, historically, uh, historically, it wasn't a greeting time. Uh, greeting time is kind of what the modern church has done with it. It was historically, it's, it's a time in worship called passing the peace. And during this time, the congregation uh, would, would traditionally say to one another, instead of, hey, how are you, or how was your week, they would open with the words, peace be with you. And then the person they were greeting would respond with, and also with you. I'm still waiting for the line in the Star Wars movies, when they will say, may the force be with you. And the characters respond, and also with you. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that'll be true in The Last Jedi, but we'll have to wait until December to find out. So, uh, and I could just call uh, George Lucas because I've got you know I bear his namesake, so I'm just gonna call and give him the tip. Uh, but the passing of peace. In other words, historically, this exercise was not just for welcoming people to the church. Uh, it wasn't just a smooth transition of going from the music to the message, uh, but it had a intent, a purpose to embody the unity of the church. In other words, as you said these words, peace be with you, it was a way of saying to one another, I wish God's shalom upon your life. Now, now shalom is, is this word that we translate peace, but, but it's not just peace as in the absence of something wrong or the absence of conflict, but rather it, it's a term of, of wholeness, uh, of completeness, uh, of full peace in our lives. And so when we are passing the peace one another with one another, it was it was literally this sacred moment between the, the, the members of the community in which they would say, I wish God's shalom upon your life. And then they would say, and also in your life. But it wasn't just that either. It was also a way of living out uh, the unity of the body and saying to one another, there is nothing between us. There is nothing between us. And, and so what I want us to realize today, that as we do our greeting time, that, that what we're really doing is, is we have an opportunity to embody uh, the peace of Christ among us today. And that is no small thing, given given all the reasons that even the people in this room have to divide according to the world's standards and according to the world's rules of how to run our lives. There are all sorts of reasons for us to be operating
operating in division with one another, but church, when we come together, we have an opportunity to live out the kingdom of Christ and walk in the ways of the kingdom and say we are at peace with one another. So when we greet one another for those three minutes, we aren't just looking for time to fill, but rather it is a sacred moment of living out the reality of the kingdom of Christ right among us. Amen? Amen. Which is a way of saying that if I am able to reach out my hand and shake yours, that if I am able to extend my arms and offer a hug, then we are at peace with one another. So I just encourage you, introverts and extroverts, the people of God, in our next greeting time, and we're not going to do a second one today. Some of you are like, oh no, he's going to have us do a greeting time right now. I'm not prepared for this. <laughs> Don't worry, you have until next week to work yourself up for it. <laughs> but I wonder, I wonder if we could make our way to shake hands and embrace one another and say we are peace. And for all the beauty in those examples, I think it's possible that the opposite is also true. That when we are divided, could be that we are living according to the ways of the world and not the kingdom. For it is the way of the world to allow differences to divide us, to refuse respectful dialogue with one another. It is the way of the evil one to allow offenses to go unforgiven. It is the way of the world to bind ourselves only to those who are like us. And if this is what the the life of the church looks like, then it has no prophetic voice to a culture that lives by the exact same rules. So I hope and I pray that we in Israel may experience an anointed unity in our life together. Guess what? I have news for you. This may come as a shock to some of you. This is not a group of perfect, well-adjusted, emotionally healthy, and spiritually mature people. <laughs> because this is just like any other church, any other gathering of the community. Just like any other church, this is a group, this is a church full of people with stories and baggage and tendencies and hang-ups. And I would just submit to you today that if we would dare to give each other grace, then what will, what will happen is it will be a tapestry of imperfection woven into the beautiful bride of Christ. And I believe that is his intention for us today. So the first thing that happens when we walk in the ways of the kingdom is the people of God will be unified. The second thing, looking at verse 18, will be this. John 17, verse 18. This is Jesus praying to his heavenly Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So the second thing that will happen as we walk in the ways of the kingdom is that the people of God will be sent into the world. Now I want you to notice the nuanced relationship between the world, that is the ways of darkness that, that go against the ways of God. The nuanced relationship between the world and the disciples 
Because on the one hand, they are hated by the world. And Jesus is praying that they will be kept safe from walking in the ways of the world. But then Jesus goes on to say that on the other hand, they, just like Jesus, are sent into the world. That you and I are sent into the world. And here's what I want to say. If you are here today and you are a person of faith, then take hold of this truth. You are not from the world, but you have been transformed for the world. I'm going to get a lot more amens. That's good preaching. I'm going to say it again. If you are here today and you are a person of faith, you are not from the world, but you have been transformed for the world. Amen. Amen. And when we are transformed to live according to the kingdom of Christ, our hearts look at the world with love instead of contempt, suspicion, or boycott. That, that is to say, if our fundamental disposition as the people of God toward the world is anything but love, we are not walking in the ways of Christ. We are actually colluding with the ways of the world and just under the guise of living in the ways of Christ. That our fundamental disposition toward the world ought to be one of love, not contempt or suspicion or boycott. Do you hear me? This will, this will change our life if we will learn to hear it and, and, and embrace it. We need to perceive it. We need to embrace it. It will change everything. And when we realize that we are not from the world, but we are, in fact, for the world, then we can engage ourselves with making the world a better place for all people. And the way in which to do that is, is not to have a, a, a position of, of protecting ourselves so that our holiness won't be corrupted by the ways of the world. I don't know where we get that. Jesus never did that. <laughs> This whole thing that Jesus had a holiness that was, that was so pure that it couldn't uh, engage with the sinfulness of the world and the ways of darkness in the world is coming from someone who has not read the Bible. Or at least the New Testament, right? And that's pretty bold, I understand. But hear me, the ways of Jesus is a full engagement with the ways of the world and proclaiming a message of hope in the midst of it. Which is a way of saying, I am not from the world, but I am for the world. I am sent on mission for the world. And man, if we could grab a hold of this, it would change everything, right? It would change absolutely everything. In fact, if you think that, that God just had that idea when he sent Jesus as a brand new idea, that's not the truth. Because God calls the nation of Israel to do precisely this while they were in exile. What happened in the life of Israel is that the nation of Babylon had come upon them, had overtaken them through military force, and had sent them away from their homeland and to basically be imprisoned in Babylon. And so then the question for, for the people of God is, how in the world are we going to live in, while we are in exile? We're, we're not in our comfort zone. We're not in our homeland. We're, we're not uh, participate. We're, we don't have full freedom to participate uh, in, in the worship of our God. We're being called to worship another God. Like, how do we operate as the people of God in the midst of exile? This is a key question throughout the Old Testament. And at least one thing that I want you to want to mention this morning comes from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah speaking oh, a word from God for the people of God for such a time as this, as they were in exile in Babylon, says this. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is the word, he says. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. 
Take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear more sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease, and then seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have wealth. Listen, as the people of God, we're trying to figure out how in the world do we live in such a time as this when we are in exile and it doesn't feel like we're at home and it feels like we're floating in a whole bunch, in a sea of uncertainty. The prophet comes with a voice of, of comfort and, and resolutely says, I want you to go about seeking the welfare of the place where you are at. Wouldn't the prophet just as easily have said, hunker down. Build lots of walls. Protect yourselves for the Babylonians are evil. And don't let their evil touch you. No. Basically what the prophet says is this. You are not from Babylon, but you are for Babylon. Like if you will, if you will just live faithfully as my people in this place and in this time, then I will fulfill what I have promised to you, which is I will send you to a land that is your own. Church, can we get a hold of that? Church, can we see that this is where we're at? We are in a place and we look around at all the evil of the world and we say, oh God, this is not our home. But can we say, let's live faithfully, let's engage. We are not of this place, but we are for this place. And so let's engage the welfare of our cities. Let's engage the welfare of the people around us. Let's engage the welfare of all people in the name of Christ with the hope that one day God will send us home to a place that we have always longed for. Amen. Amen. And I'm preaching this morning. <laughs> <laughs> The idea that if we aren't from the world, we've got that down really well, don't we? We're not from the world. We're not from the world. We, we have heard that. If you grew up in the church, you heard that probably your whole life. We've got that down really well. If we get that down too well, then we talk about how we aren't really like those people. It comes us and them, in and out, draw lines, boundaries, all that stuff. Jesus worked so hard to try to erase in the ways of the kingdom. Sometimes in our practice of faith, we have forgotten that we have been transformed for the world. And our prayer this morning is that we would recognize the richness of this prayer for God in our life. That when Jesus prays for you, he prays that you will be kept safe from walking in the ways of the You, just like him, are not from the world, but you are for the world. I pray that we would come to know that this morning. Because the result of our living out the kingdom of Christ is that the world is made better. So may we never forget that our faith is not a purely spiritual exercise, but that we are sent into the world to make the world better living in the ways of Jesus. I think maybe a more foundational question is do we believe that walking in the ways of Jesus makes the world better? 
In other words, do we as Christians, as the people of God, believe in the practical nature of the kingdom of Christ? Or have we so spiritualized everything that even when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we just think, man, Jesus was kind of like out of touch. Right? Or do we as the people of God really grab hold of the ideas that Jesus and his teaching makes the world a better place that we live out? I hope that we'll grab hold of it. I hope we'll perceive the kingdom. I hope we'll embrace the kingdom. And I hope that we will leave this place sent out on mission to win the world. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to say a word of prayer and then I'll lead us. God, thank you for speaking to us through the proclamation of your word. We pray, God, that in this time and in this place that you would meet us at the table where we come to receive. We, we come to the table not to take and, and not to offer anything except for ourselves to you. And so, God, may we receive your life today. May we receive your encouragement today. May we receive your mission today as the people of God. So fill us up. Nourish us, God, at the table. Thank you for this word.